This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Heinemann. And I'm Kelly King. If you're a regular listener, you might already know that from time to time, we provide full teaching sessions for some of our favorite Bible studies right here on the Mark Podcast. We're kicking off a new study. Yes, and for the next seven weeks, we're going to do Jackie Hill Perry's Jude Bible Study together. We'll release the audio of one teaching session per week here on the Mark Podcast. Jude is Jackie's Bible study published with LifeWay. And she has graciously granted us permission to play the audio here. Please know that this is copyrighted material, so we ask that you not reproduce it. Before we dive in, know that the teachings in these sessions expand on the work that you'll do in the Bible study book. For the full impact of the study, you'll want to get the Bible study workbook, and you can purchase the book at lifeway.com forward slash Jude. We have a sample session there if you want to use it while you wait for your book to come in the mail. These audio teachings will be available for a limited time due to copyright restrictions. We'll leave the audio up until August 31st. We hope that gives you time to get the book and study along with us. Over seven sessions, Jackie will lead you through the book of Jude. You're going to dive into themes of being called, loved, and kept, and learn how to point others to Jesus in grace and truth. Now here's Jackie Hill Perry. Imagine that you are Jude's recipient. And as the letter was being read, you went through a range of emotion. You'd start off encouraged, remembering God's great love for you, that he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and that in the craziness of life, he is yet and still keeping you. From there, you'd hear Jude tell you that he had plans to write a letter that was different than the one he has wrote you. But out of necessity, he had, he was compelled to write this one. And you probably turn to your friend and be like, girl, what what Jesus brother finna say to us? (laughs) Because you don't understand what could be so serious that would lead Jude to write something different than a letter about salvation. And he tells you that he needs you to fight. He needs you to quarrel. He needs you to wrestle. He needs you to contend. And what you're contending for is the faith, the doctrines that you thought everybody around you believed, such as the reality that Jesus is both master and Lord or the doctrine of his grace and how it actually teaches us to renounce ungodliness. You figured everybody in your church believed this, but Jude unveils your ignorance by telling you that it's actual people that you eat with and listen to and do life with that have crept in teachings that aren't true and you are completely oblivious to it. So to help you recognize these people, he starts to talk about several Old Testament stories that you've heard all of your life. And he explains how these are examples, how what happened then was happening now. But the scary part to you is actually to see how consistent the judgment of God is, that not a one 
of the people and the groups that have either led other people astray or who have rebelled against God have been able to escape the condemnation of God. The same God that Jude said is keeping you for Jesus is actually also the same God that is keeping the ungodly for judgment. It gets heavy, which is a good thing because that might be what you need to give you a sense of urgency to have a burden to do what Jude is calling you and appealing for you to do. So naturally then the word that might come to your mind is how. How are we to contend? What are we supposed to say? How are we supposed to say it? What are we supposed to say? But before Jude tells you how to contend, he tells you who to be. He tells you that you are to be a folk that are building themselves up in the faith, that you are to be a people who are praying in the spirit, that you are to be a people waiting on the mercy of God and that by doing these things, you will work towards abiding and keeping yourselves in the love of God. And a person who is abiding in God and abiding in God's truth won't be swayed by the teachings that might be causing other people to fall. Then he tells you how to handle those who are doubting. He tells you to be merciful, to be compassionate, to those who are beginning to believe these lies to the point that their feet are close to the flames, he tells you to snatch them from it. And at this point, he tells you also to be merciful, yet at the same time fearful, loving these people, but hating anything that they have that is related to the flesh. And at this point now, what might be going through your mind? Whatever it is, the next two verses in Jude's letter would immediately comfort you if you had anxiety. It would give you hope if you had pessimism. It would give you joy if you had sadness and it would give you a song if you had no words. Jude 24 and 25 says, now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jude began with a prayer and he ends this letter with a praise. These are the bookends of a very intense letter. After spending so much time talking about the ungodly and a little time talking about God's beloved, he makes sure that the way he is going to close this conversation is by talking about God. Verse 24, he says, now to him, God, who is able to do what? To keep you, here we go with keeping again, to keep you from stumbling. If there was any confusion when Jude exhorted these people to keep themselves in the love of God, he reminds them that they don't need to trip, pun intended. <laughs> and keeping yourselves in the love of God, it is ultimately God who has been doing the keeping the whole time. And at the same time that he has called you to work out your salvation, he is the one working in you. Even if these false teachers don't want to stay in their place, God is going to be faithful by keeping you in yours. The text says, now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present, which literally means to stand you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Jude is contrasting here. God will help you not fall and God will keep you standing. He says that God will present you blameless. That means without blemish. Jude is a master of using the Old Testament to teach. And here 
It might not be as plain as the other Old Testament references that he uses, but the imagery of being without blemish should immediately take your mind back to what God required of his people and their sacrifices before Jesus came. Their sacrifices couldn't have one blemish for it to be accepted. Their lives couldn't have one blemish for God to accept it. But we all know that it's easier to find a blameless or a spotless lamb than it is to find a spotless person. So Jesus becomes the lamb without blemish, without spot. And he dies for those who are blemished, those who aren't blameless, so that all who would believe would be cleansed from their sins and stand in his righteousness. And it is because of Jesus that Jude can tell God's people that one day they will indeed be presented before God without one iota of a blemish. They will stand before God completely blameless as if they had never did anything in their entire life. And who is this God that they will see? The text says, he is the only God, meaning that there is none like him, meaning that there is none that compare with him. There is none competing with him. These false teachers might worship money, might worship autonomy and sexual immorality, but they are only idols that they are worshiping. They are not God. To say that God is the only God is to say that he is the only one worthy of our complete adoration. Anything that these teachers teach or anything that we might look at to be God for us can't be because it can't be him. In Isaiah 44, God himself says this. Thus says the Lord, the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not nor be afraid. And have I not told you from of old and declared it? Are you my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. The God that will keep them from stumbling is the only God. And this God is our Savior. In Jude 5, Jude talks about how Jesus saved a people out of Egypt. The people of Egypt were slaves in Egypt. They weren't free to do what they were made to do. They weren't able to do what they were made to be. They were in submission to a foreign master, but God rescued them when they couldn't rescue themselves. God saved them when they couldn't save themselves. And now through Jesus Christ, both Gentile and Jew are able to experience the salvation of Jesus too. He is a savior in the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense where those who were slaves to sin have now become slaves to righteousness. They are in submission to our only Lord and master, Jesus. The people that Jesus have saved have a new master now and they submit to him gladly. Jude says that God is our savior. Don't skip over that. Jesus saved you and me, which means that Jesus saved us. It's easy to get up or get caught up in the individual or personal nature of our faith, where we end up missing the glory and the encouragement that comes from understanding the communal nature of our faith. Our salvation is a common one, meaning in Jude verse three, he says it is a common one, meaning that multiple people share it. It is accessible for any who, anyone who would believe. So when you are contending for the faith in a world that will misrepresent you, in a world that will persecute you and reject you, you have to remind yourself that you're not alone in this that there are other people that God has saved and that God is using to contend just like you. God is the savior of many, so you are never by yourself. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be what? Be glory. In Exodus 33, Moses asked God to see his glory. God is like, nah. I'm going to put you behind this rock. So God puts him in the cleft of a rock while his glory passes him by. So in one sense, we can take from that narrative that God's glory is perceivable. It comes out from him, sometimes manifesting as light, just like it did when Jesus transfigured before his disciples or how in Revelations 21, when it talks about heaven, it says we won't need a lamp or a sun because God's glory is our light. Glory is something that characterizes God, but glory is also something that people can give to God. To give God glory is to give him honor, is to recognize who he is and give him what he's due. In Revelations 4, John tells us about the throne of God and he talks about how there are 24 thrones and 24 elders on these thrones and how there are angels and four, or four living creatures surrounding these thrones. And I want you to hear what these angels are doing in heaven. It says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who was seated on the throne and realize these people weren't redeemed like us, but they give him glory always who was seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who was seated on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you Lord, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. In heaven, the angels and the elders are honoring God for who he is and what he has done. Everything in this doxology is what's showing us that Jude is doing the same as what is happening in heaven. When people reckon with the fact that God created everything and that God sustains everything and that God died for people who considered that were at one point considered ungodly and irreverent people who gloried in created things like their relationships and their jobs and their intellect. But now these same people have received mercy and received grace. So now they are living for the glory of God because these kinds of people, what happens when God rescues you from your sin, you recognize who he is now. And because you recognize who he is now, you live to give him what you know he deserves. Look at what he's done. He saved us. Look at what he's doing. He's keeping us. And look at what he's going to do. He's going to present us blameless. To the only God, our Savior, be glory. To this God is also majesty. Our God is a king. In 1 Chronicles 29, 11, David says this about God. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. David was a king, but David recognized who the exalted and eternal king was. God rules over everything he always have and he always will. And sometimes it can feel as if our culture is out of control because it is. The God of this world is a roaring lion who is seeking who he, who he can devour in between the media, certain political agendas, murders happening inside and outside of the womb. There is so much going on, but even in a world that is out of control, we have a king who is still in control. And this king is great and beautiful 
and glory. His majesty is not just about his rule, but also about his person. All that he is makes him majestic. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, dominion, no, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. God's dominion speaks to the power that God has to govern and do whatever it is that he decides. God's authority speaks to his sovereign rule over all things. So imagine a God who not only has the ability to do whatever it is that he pleases, but the right to do whatever it is that he pleases. There are a lot of people in our world today who have the ability, the power, the strength to do certain things, especially people in positions of authority. Because of sin, these people use their power to oppress those who might not have as much power or agency as they do. But even if these people might have power to do these sinful things, they never had the authority. Why? Because there is a higher authority that all of humanity is subject to, and that is God. He is a savior who in doing what he had the power to do and the dominion to do became a whole baby. He lived as both God and man until one day the people in positions of borrowed power used it to crucify him, but they didn't realize that God was behind the scenes the whole time, that they were only doing what God who has absolute dominion was letting them do, and that they were only doing what God who has absolute authority was allowing them to do. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. How? Because he had power, because he had dominion. But get this. This all-powerful and all-authoritative God used his power and his dominion to do what? To serve you. Mm. If you haven't yet figured out why God deserves all this praise, I hope that helped you out a bit. These false teachers and ungodly people don't want to live under the authority and the dominion of God because they reckon that it's a, a, not a good thing. But those who are loved and called and kept recognize that God is a holy God and a good God and a patient God. So to be submitted to him is to be submitted to the best being in the universe, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for how long? Ask yourself, how long has God been the only God? How long has God deserved glory? How long has God been majestic? How long has God had dominion? How long has God had authority before time he was worthy? How and why? Because he was here before it existed. In Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, meaning that God was here before time began. He was here before eternity, which seems that his attributes are eternal, too. That's why we can give him glory for who he's always been. But what about now? Is he still the only one worthy of worship? Is he still worthy of glory? Is he still powerful? Does he still have authority? Well, in Malachi 3.6, God answered those questions when he said, I am the Lord and I don't change. That's why you can say and be accurate in saying it to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now. Who God was before time began is who God still is today. 
And because he cannot change and will not change, he will have dominion and power and glory forever. This is our hope. Because if we had a God who was like us, how would we be able to trust that when we're presented before him, he wouldn't change his mind? If he didn't have power in the future, how would we be able to trust the word that this world will pass away when it seems like the devil is setting up shop, when it seems like the devil is the strong one? How can we know that God is strong enough to defeat even him? But we know our God was and always is king with majesty, dominion and power so we can trust him. Jude ends this by saying, Amen. Amen or amen, depending on how you say it, means yes. It means that you agree with what has been said. The unnoticed teachers that Jude is trying to show or give examples about, they would have said amen too. The difference is, they would have said it with their mouth. But you, the beloved of God, because you are loved, because you are called, because you are kept, I know that you're saying amen in your heart too. And because God is keeping you, you can be secure in the fact that your yes will last. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Amen. listening to the Mark Podcast. We'll be releasing all seven teaching sessions of the Jude Bible Study here on the podcast for the next seven weeks. We will leave the audio up until August 31st. Be sure to get a Bible study book, get together with your Bible study friends, or hop on a Zoom call and listen in. If you enjoyed today's teaching sessions, be sure to join us for Jackie's brand new event, Glory, coming to five cities in 2021. And don't miss Jackie's new book, Holier Than Thou, releasing this August. Learn more and find a glory event near you at lifeway.com slash Jackie Hill Perry. If you're loving this Bible study content, please let us know. Tag us at Lifeway Women or use the hashtag Marked Podcast on all your social media. Let us know what you're learning. If you like getting Bible study content this way, or if you have ideas for future episodes, we're so grateful you're listening and want to know how to serve you well. Bye. Bye.